Welcome to Scrappy ABM, your source for groundbreaking approaches that don't break the bank. ABM shouldn't cost 200K in tech to even get started. So if you want to get started with ABM or make your program even better without investing a massive amount of money, you're in the right place. Each week, we'll hear from the brightest minds in the marketing world who are redefining ABM, achieving incredible results with untraditional methods, limited resources, and a whole lot of creativity. This isn't a show about how much money you can spend on fancy tech or overhyped tools. Instead, it's about celebrating creative problem solving and the scrappiness it takes to get ABM right. We'll dive into how these marketing leaders built robust ABM strategies with limited resources, revealing the actionable insights that led to their biggest wins. So if you're a marketer ready to challenge the status quo and build a scalable, efficient, effective marketing strategy, Scrappy ABM is the show for you. So if you're ready to discover ABM strategies that are lean, impactful, and utterly transformative, let's dive into this episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Master Marketer Show. I've got with me today Mason Cosby, uh, who is the Director of Growth at Mojo Media Labs. And we're going to talk about uh, some awesome stuff today, specifically around events. Not the in-person kind, necessarily, but the fun kind that actually drive results. So, Mason, welcome to the show. Mike, thank you so much for having me on. Really excited to, to chat today. Sweet. So, you know, I obviously talked uh, for a while, uh, for a bit before this, about the really amazing uh, ABMathon event that you all ran, uh, what, about a month ago now, right? It's about, yeah. So it was hosted on April 12th. This is being recorded. Sorry to date you, actually May 13th. So a month and a day. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's perfect. I mean, we, we've already talked about the, the results and whatnot. We'll save that till the end, keep people guessing, if you will. But uh, if, anybody, if anybody is curious, had some really amazing impact for the company in a variety of ways, which we'll talk about. But to start with, what, I, what I'd like to do is, you know, you're kind of in this unique position of being a director of marketing at a marketing agency and you are targeting other marketers yep. uh, who are very skeptical by nature. Um, so... How do you, what are the, what was the mindset that you think somebody needs to have to kind of go from, you know, what I'll call kind of your everyday demand gen activity to, hey, we're going to launch an event, never done it before, and we're going to, you know, you know, we'll talk about results after, but, uh, you know, 500 plus attendees, et cetera. So what's the mindset you got to have to kind of not just come up with the idea, but then pitch it, promote it, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I, I view really marketing in its entirety as an iterative, iterative growth process. So uh, Mojo, when I started, had been doing these monthly workshops, and we had been doing those monthly workshops for probably seven months at the time when we started to come up with this idea. And they were they were becoming, not actually becoming, at the point, they were the main revenue driver. And I was like, well, this is amazing. So how do we, how do we take this kind of to the next level? Like, what's the next step of just doing a, a monthly highly tactical workshop and we really quick side interrupt before you jump yep. in then before i jump into the event can you describe a little bit more what these workshops were like because i think that will do a good job for us to kind of set the stage of okay what yeah. was the next iteration so the most successful of them all was called fix your site from search to sale so what we would do is we would just do live website reviews of our ideal clients and invite a bunch of people to those live website reviews and walk through all the ways that they could improve the messaging, improve the navigation, improve the entrance to the sales process, and actually 
just create a better overall experience. And then post that workout, I would actually do personalized website reviews and send all of those out. So I do about 40, uh, done this three times now. And of those 40, what we typically see is 16 would respond and start to enter into some kind of a sales conversation. And then on a trailing three months, we'd see roughly eight new websites from that one event. And if you're in marketing as an agency to sell eight websites in three months, source back to one specific event, it's a good, like that is good. Um, it was about two weeks of work that generated, I don't know, I mean, the average website project's probably $30,000, so you can do the math on that. Um, not bad. So yeah, that's well, so actually, that's, oh, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead, I finish with that. Well, I was just gonna say, I mean, from a, so that's when we talk about workshops, it's not just let's host a webinar and like talk about essentially a veiled sales pitch. Um, our webinars actually until the third one, we didn't even talk about our services. It was just because if you're demonstrating your authority, we're obviously a marketing agency. If we're talking about websites, we offer website services. So we didn't have to do like the pay $30,000, get a new website. Like we're telling you how to fix your website for free. If you want us to do it for you, fantastic. If not, I've actually had people message me and say, this was so helpful. And then they go and execute. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I've got mine and I'm actually just generating helpful content for, for the market. So no skin off my back. Perfect. So I, I want to dive into this a little bit more tactically. So you were just choosing a random kind of prospective client, somebody from your target account list, right? And doing a unsolicited, I'm assuming, correct? Website review. Or, or did you reach out to them first and say, hey, we'd like to do this. Would you like to be part of this? So that's kind of the beautiful piece is it, it is pitched as a, as a live workshop where hundreds of people attend. So mm. it's, if you want a website review, submit your website for a review. So, Got it. because I, when I was brand side, I would get these website pitches and they're annoying because you like, you didn't ask for it and somebody sends you all the critiques with your website. And if you're a brand side marketer and you have frustrations with your website to have a marketing agency only highlight the same frustrations you're already experiencing without you asking, kind of just when I was brand side, it kind of ticked me off because I was like, I know, but I can't fix it right now because my CEO is not going to let me. So like I have other priorities. So to essentially solicit it by saying, submit your website for a review, we'll review five of them live. And then afterwards we'll select a couple to do personalized reviews for. Um, it, it opened the door because they were expecting it. Got it. So you were pretty much, there was an outreach strategy to whatever your target account list that said, hey, we're going to be doing this live, submit it if you'd like to be part of this and you'd select whatever, maybe you got... I don't know, 10, 20, 30, whatever submissions, you'd select five of them and you do those live. So that yeah, we do five live and then we ended up typically getting in the 60 range on actual website submissions. So from that, I would then match up against our ideal client profile and only send out website reviews to actual ideal clients. Got it. So now I want, I want to ask the question of, again, as a, you know, as a service provider, very often it, uh, the, the, the common advice you hear is, you know, just give away your best advice for free. Everybody hears it, very few actually do it because everyone's scared of, oh my God, if I'm gonna just give away free website strategies or give away free demand gen strategies, whatever it is, how am I actually gonna make money? People are just gonna take it and run with it and what do I do? So maybe talk, let's talk through the mindset of, because really an event is kind of the that to the 10th degree. Yes. Um, what's the mindset you have to have to go, hey, you know what, not only are we like ungating content and whatever, but we're, literally going to proactively give this away. So the mindset is really twofold. It's first, 
more of an abundance mindset. And I'm sure you've probably, that's, that's probably a drum that's beat constantly from a marketing perspective of you need to have the recognition that to do marketing really, really well, you're probably going to engage a lot of people, but you know that there's enough out there for you to be just fine. So abundance. Um, and then secondly is what do you want to be known for? So Mike, you and I can agree there's thousands upon thousands of marketing agencies and they're solo individuals that are presenting themselves as agencies. And the best sales pitch that I often give to people is our agency prides ourselves on not screwing our clients. So if you're an agency that's a dime a dozen in a very saturated market, the way that you stand out is you do something large and you make yourself known for being an expert in something. So really the whole purpose behind this concept of ABMathon was what do we want to be known for? How can we differentiate our agency and do something that's so big? And the title was intentional of ABMathon. It was all of our branding. So we had hundreds of thousands of people see our branding, see our name and see the title ABMathon. So after ABMathon, no one's asked, what does Mojo do? They just know we do ABM. <laughs> yep, for sure. So diving in even further on this abundance mindset, because again, that's, that's advice that you hear a lot. Uh, and again, most people don't take it. How do you, uh, it's one thing to sort of do that as an individual, right? If you're an individual practitioner, do you're a solo practitioner, whatever, that's one thing, but you are part of a, you know, fairly large organization. How do you operationalize that kind of mindset? Like, is that something you have to pitch? Is there, you know, what did that look like? Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a good question. And I'll be candid. I mean, the first, probably the first three months of me being in marketing, taking that abundance mindset approach, you don't see the immediate revenue because in order to actually have that abundance, like you have to ungate some things, like you have to do things that are naturally less trackable because you're trying to engage the right people more frequently than trying to capture all the right information. So again, it's that, so I, I did face questions. And what changed was when we started to see uh, marketing source revenue and marketing source deals grow. And that took three months to really start happening. And it, it took six months for it to become, marketing is now the main revenue driver for our agency instead of referrals. So that was a big shift for us. Um, agency's been around for 15 years, entirely built through referrals. So to actually have marketing leading the way from a, uh, from a revenue perspective, um, at that point, once, once revenue is coming in and you're actually driving, like there's not as many questions. Now, if we have a down month, I get questions for sure. And I always can now point back to, well, we've been doing this and like marketing's now leading the way. So maybe this month's a little bit down, but in the grand scheme of things, like we're significantly up. It's like looking at the stock market right now. Like if you look at it in the past two weeks, you're really depressed. If you look over, over a 10 year time frame, you're still very happy. Yep. Love that. So, um, let's then talk about that next step. So how do you take it from, Hey, we've now done whatever three, five, six of these events, however many was to, Okay, now we're gonna have to actually put some money behind this, right? Because you can do these types of things for relatively free, let's just say a minus whatever, you know, your Zoom subscription costs pretty much to, yeah. okay, we're gonna run an event, right? That needs promotion, that needs creative, that needs platform, et cetera, et cetera. 
not to mention maybe paying guests. I don't know if you did or not. That's a whole separate thing. So um, how do you go from that to, okay, now we're going to invest. So maybe tell us how much the investment was, if you don't mind. And then how do you sort of pitch that thing? So from a time and monetary investment perspective, it was $22,000. And I'm, I'm including like my time. I spent 123 hours on this event. Um, this is how you know you're an agency because you track all your time. <laughs> yes. And so I, I put my, my hourly rate at my salary, but then that, that 20 some odd thousand, I actually did our uh, client rate for our design team, for our development team. So it's, it is an accurate estimate of not just what did it cost from a salary perspective, but also opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. So to pull off an event that got 700 registrants and 300 people live for less than $25,000, cause we were getting quoted to come speak at like a single 30 minute session at some of these conferences that, that bring in a thousand people, it's $15,000. So that was one of the ways that I was able to, to sell it is I, I said, you guys have thrown out the idea of like, let's speak at these events, but this costs $15,000 and we get one 30 minute session and it's all about them and their branding. So what if instead we invested a little bit more money and it was all Mojo branded, it was all ABM focused and we actually controlled the narrative. Yeah. So that's one thing. Um, Really the second piece is it, again, iterative growth process, iterative process in its entirety. So ABMathon started as ABM April and we've got tech partnerships. So I just had the thought process of what if we did a weekly session with one of our tech partners and just talked about ABM every single week for the month of April, that would be neat. And then I talked some, that was around the time where some of our partners were also doing their own annual summits. So I asked them about it and they said, oh, it was, it was actually super effective not super difficult to pull off. Like it took a lot of time, but not terrible. And I was like, awesome. If we were to host a virtual conference, would you guys show up? And they're like, for sure. So through our tech partnerships, I had all of my speakers lined up pretty much immediately because we had three tech partners that signed on plus ourselves and they all agreed to do three to four sessions. So it ended up turning into and then also, on addition to like their educational sessions, they also all offered up a, to do a demo session to walk through their platform in a non-salesy way, but just to give a platform overview. Then we did a number of sessions. So we ended up having 20 sessions overall. So the only thing that I really had to do to find from a speaker perspective was a headliner. And that's a whole other story in and of itself. Awesome. So I just did the math, by the way. I know we're going to talk about results later, but that's about what? You said 350 actual uh, attendees? So 300 total attendees plus 700 registrants. Right. So if we're doing math. I mean, I'm just looking at the attendees. You're looking at $73 per attendee. That's that's a pretty good investment in my book. Yes. Um, <laughs> and we, we can get into the specifics around some of the revenue results that have already come in, but um, we, we can save that to the end. <laughs> Keep people guessing. So from a mindset perspective, again, you talked about abundance mindset and what do you want to be known for? Um, is there anything else that comes to mind? Again, thinking about these sort of, we'll call large, at least partially untrackable or unattributable 
uh, I should say unattributable rather than rather than that uh, initiatives. So don't make the success of the event entirely based on immediate sales. So what what we've been able to do following the event as I edited all of the video and then turned it into an on-demand resource hub that's completely ungated and given away all of the slides. So you've got 20 sessions with 15 hours of content and all of the slides and frameworks that were walked through that is now becoming a massive traffic driver of educational content. From there, I've actually given all of the transcripts and all the sessions to a content writer and they're churning out 20 pieces of blog content that then all link back to that 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 resource hub. Um, we are then repurposing all of the sessions into podcast episodes. We are turning them into micro clips for social media. So this one event has fueled content from a blog perspective for a whole quarter, from a social perspective, probably six to eight months. Um, I'm still editing and then created this massive resource hub that is again, this center of just pure education. So the success of the event was based entirely on content production, not actual like immediate revenue. So I know, you know, I, I keep saying we're going to save the results to the end. Let, let's jump into maybe some of that because I want to ask a specific, specific question, which yeah. is, do you know at this point, because I'm sure there was some revenue that came through just from the event itself. Yeah. Do you have, even just percentage-wise, if you looked at total revenue impact or pipeline impact, whichever number you want to talk about, um, what percentage was kind of post-event from the content and things like that and the resource hub versus the event itself? So from the event itself, we ended up the following week closing four deals from attendees. So they were already in pipeline, but that event ended up helping them like check the box of like this agency is legit um and they even they even cited that a, a part of why they closed was we loved this event like the way that you presented everything the way that you actually engage with the audience and throughout the entire day there was literally not a single sales pitch it was a pure education focus and it just established that confidence post event what we've actually seen thus far specifically and again, this is a month after we've had two deals enter into pipeline that cited like, how did you hear about, about Mojo was that resource hub. So again, this is a long-term play and there's some other results that we'll get to, but from a pure, like immediate revenue perspective in the trailing four weeks, we've seen four deals influenced, two deals sourced, not to mention the, I want to say there's upwards of 15 other deals that didn't cite the event as the reason that they partnered with, or that they entered into our pipeline, but that were at the event or were accelerated through their pipeline as a result of coming to the event. Yep. Makes sense. I think that that's the one thing to highlight there is again, there's this kind of happy medium between, you know, the qualitative responses and the quantitative responses. Cause Yes, you want the qualitative because they tell you things you may not have found out, but the quantitative sometimes that you sometimes you get the opposite, which is people don't remember, people are too lazy, whatever it is, but you know that at least to a certain to a certain extent their decision was influenced because they were there. Yes. Let's talk 
skill sets now because I think this the measurement side kind of potentially is a good transition. Uh, I think I personally think understanding how to measure these things, not attribute, but measure is, is a critical skill. Um, what skill sets do you think somebody needs to be able to pull something like this off? I thought that the, the biggest problems would arise around technology. And technology was actually not a big problem. We had one major hiccup that I can talk through, but in the grand scheme, once that one major hiccup was overcome, no big deal. The problem came in with people. Like when you're hosting an event that has 20 sessions, those 20 sessions involve, I mean, a hundred people in total. And as the main person that brought the event together, literally my day, my entire day was just sitting there waiting for fires to arise and going and putting those fires out. And then leading up to the event, I mean, people would need to change their topic. Their title would change, which is great. Like, but there's just a lot of management when it comes to the individuals that are, that are contributing to the event. So I would honestly say the biggest thing that's a skill set is not the hard skills. It's the soft skills to actually make people feel invested in giving their time to the event, making them feel like this is a worthwhile um, use of their time, making them feel valued. And I mean, I would honestly say what's interesting is every single person that spoke didn't ask for any level of compensation or a gift. They asked, is there going to be a graphic with my face on it that I can then share on social? Like they want to feel that level of respect that comes with being able to speak at an event. So being able to have the things in place to maximize their time to make them feel super valued, I think is the, is the greatest skill set. Because everything else you can YouTube. Like, I'm not kidding. I learned everything else by YouTubing and by reading, like, process documents from Zoom events. But the skills to manage people was, was not something you can, you can just learn on the fly. For sure. So what would you say more specifically? What, what were some of the, we'll call them people management hiccups that you think, if someone's getting into this, here, like, hey, you should know and address these things before you get into it. So specifically around events, I'd have backup speakers lined up just in case, um, because we had an amazing intro speaker that was from the sales side of things that really worked specifically with salespeople on the ABM experience. And it was going to be this conversation around like sales and marketing alignment from the perspective of sales. We were really excited about that. Um, killer like background had worked at all these like massive organizations and they run a they run a consultancy at this point and that individual about two three weeks before the event said i just got a massive workshop deal the day of the event i'm gonna have to back out and they were our headliner and we were actually no it was more than three weeks it was like the week before we launched promotion so it was probably three, six weeks six weeks before so i got that message on a wednesday and thank goodness I'm well connected enough in the ABM community that I could just shoot a couple of, of LinkedIn messages. And we ended up getting uh, the global head of, a of ABM and HP, who's Richard Pandy, who is amazing. Um, so there was, that was one situation, but then additionally, some of our sponsors last minute said, we need to, we need to back out of two of our sessions. And it's like, well, we're a week before the event. 
I've already approved all the decks and like, no, like we just can't, we can't do that. Um, so like having to, if I, I feel like if I had prepared a couple more decks just in case something happened, then things would have gone a lot more smoothly. But like, I essentially had to like beg and plead people like, no, please do not back out on me. Like, I need you to do this. We've already been promoting around this event. People have registered for your specific session. Um, and then even on the day of, like, I I sent out a bunch of tutorial videos on how to log into the platform. And on the day of, we had a couple of, of speakers or panelists that hadn't logged in yet. So we ended up having a couple of sessions start late because they, they had said that they had checked the box. And it was just, again, like, it's all people management. So things that I wish I had done better were, were really doing a much better job of continuing to follow up and follow through. And um, I don't know, for lack of a word, maybe like, and I don't want to micromanage, but I also like wish I had maybe asked, like, could you send a screenshot of your session to make sure that you've gotten in and like, we're good. Um, just something, but I, again, that's the balance. I don't want to micromanage people, but I also like needed to make sure that things got done. Were you, uh, were you a one man team managing this or did you have other folks at Mojo that were helping out? Um, so from a design perspective, like all the graphical elements, and then we actually had a, a designed deck design. Yes. Um, people management, promotion, technology, every, everything else other than, the, other than the, the design I did on my own. So that's where the 120 hours was invested. Got it. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, we talked soft skills. Are there specific hard skills? that you think are needed? I would definitely say you need to be a good content or copywriter because for an event, um, one of the things that I ended up doing was not just coordinating Mojo's content, but I also ended up having to rewrite some of the decks for our speakers. I had to, um, I mean, we had an ad set of about 40 different ads. So I had to copyright all of those different ads, all the landing pages, all the um, descriptions for every session. So, I mean, copywriting and actually building interest is critical. Um, on top of that, I would say some basic technological skills, because there's a lot of integrations that need to take place. Because again, we, we push promotion out of a HubSpot instance into a Zoom event, and we needed to ensure that people registered in HubSpot that also then got transitioned over to, to Zoom. We also built a LinkedIn event, so we need to get all those registrants over into the Zoom events. So there's just there's all these different pieces of technology that are involved from a promotional standpoint to the actual event itself. So anything that you can do that's going to help you integrate all your tech to make everything easier and actually create a streamlined experience for your customers is what you want to do. So it's, I would say content, copywriting, um, technology, just integration. And then again, this, this might be a hard skill, but I, I would say legitimately like being able to research your customers actually understanding how to do appropriate customer research to then create content that would be appealing to your customer base. Cause I could have talked about anything that's ABM related, but if none of it was appealing to our customers or to our ideal customers, um, nobody would have shown up. So we needed to create good content that was aligned with what people wanted to actually know about. So tell me more about that. I mean, we, we've talked uh, with a number of other folks uh, about customer research on the show, but I'm curious for this specific, use case what, what did you do what was your what was your process to then i'm assuming in, you know influence speaking topics the speakers themselves yeah. the content that goes out to promote it etc so what i ended up doing is 
um, speaking with all of our sponsors first. So I spoke with our different sponsors and said, hey, because our, our sponsors are, again, they were Terminus, Sendoso, and Sales Intel. They are multi-million dollar organizations with hundreds of employees that are doing road shows on a very frequent basis, more so than our agency is. So they already had content. And I said, what content do you have that aligns with your overall strategic narrative that you want to push as a company, but has seen an amazing crowd response? How do we then repurpose that content for this event? So that was kind of the starting point of, again, leveraging our, our sponsors to say, you guys are also smart people that like have probably done way more in-depth customer research. Um, from there, we, we I, I have got a couple of, again, really, really intelligent, well-connected individuals that are in the ABM space. And by the nature that I'm, I'm connected to those individuals, I got probably the opinions of about 20 people outside of every organization that was involved and just said something to the extent of, hey, you guys are really involved in the ABM space. Like, do you think that all of these topics cover kind of the, the gauntlet of what people would want to understand from beginning to end of the day? And then what we did is, as an agency is we filled in the gaps. So our tech vendors probably have something that's maybe a little more tech focused and they want to talk strategy as well because they are all preaching strategy first. But as an agency, what we do is strategy. So we then filled in the gaps. So for example, there was nothing that talked about how do you actually get organizational alignment around ABM? There was nothing that actually walked step by step by step of an actual client doing an ABM strategy. There's nothing that talked on content. So we did those three sessions um, and then just opened a forum for ABM AMAs. So that's that's how we went about doing that that customer research um, to, to create the content for the event. Do you think that, again, for another, I mean, for organizations like yours, um, that makes sense. Um, what if you are a, whatever, say a, a SaaS company or a, yeah. something like that, or if, or if you are a whatever, manufacturing company and you're putting on an event um, like this, would you, and you don't, maybe you don't have access to you know, partners, let's just say like that. Where would you start? So for starters, what, and this is something that we've done following many of our other workshops or just kind of one-offs is I'll have an idea of the different workshops that I want to host. And I'll do a survey after that's like, Hey, what, what topic sounds most appealing that you would want to come to and learn more about? So hosting some kind of a survey. And again, you can even go to your existing uh, customer base and say, Hey, we're, we're thinking about hosting an event. Kind of what are the gaps that you're seeing in the industry that we could help create content and educate around? So going to your existing customer base, sending out surveys to your existing marketing database. And then the, the other thing that I think can't be overstated enough for, for me as a marketer, my ideal customers and my community is predominantly on LinkedIn and a couple of private communities like DGMG peak, um, revenue genius, a number of others. And I have access to those communities. So what you could do is go to your communities and talk to essentially your community leaders and your influencers, wherever they may be, and just ask them, Hey, what questions do you keep getting? Because what that also then does, this has been an interesting side note, um, by going to those community leaders, I've actually personally gotten numerous speaking engagements for those specific communities. So then also you can repurpose the content for those exact communities as well. So it's staying on customer research, like that's how I do it if you are not necessarily leveraging partners. Got it. So you wouldn't necessarily go out and whatever, reach out to five, 10 customers and say, okay, here's what. What do you care about that? I mean, that's certainly one way to do it. Um, 
but I also think that there's a there's a a balance because your customers already know what they know, and if what they know about your product and your platform is something that you would obviously want to to be to educate your market on, your customers are not necessarily going to directly address that thing. So that's why I'm I'm also throwing in like customers are a great place to start because you've got easy access, but also then going to community leaders and sending out surveys for other things that you're doing. Um, for people that are not existing customers yet. Yeah, I, I love that because it's, you know, are you asking the right people the right questions? Good. And I, I love exactly. that you called out the fact of just, you know, because they are your customers, they might not be the right people to answer this question. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, let's talk, um, let's talk tools. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned, actually, no, you know, I take that back. One thing I want to ask you uh, in terms of skill sets, you mentioned, you know, soft skills and um, uh, knowing your customers as specific things. He's like, everything else I learned through YouTube. What were the things you had to learn through YouTube? Was it all the integration and tech stuff? Yeah, specifically around Zoom events and like how to set that up and, um, you know, even evaluating the different platforms. I, I went to YouTube to address all the different platforms that could be used. And for, for me personally, I again, this is not a right or wrong, like this is a personal preference, but I know that for many of the software review websites, they're kind of pay to play. Whereas unbiased third party YouTube people that are just, again, trying to create ad revenue based off of YouTube, like they're gonna give the most honest reviews. And they're also gonna provide walkthroughs of the different platforms. So I, I go to YouTube typically for kind of tech reviews on not necessarily B2B tech. Got it. So, which I guess, I guess is a good transition then. What were the tools? Sounds like it was uh, Zoom events. Uh, yes. What else did you guys use? So, this was a surprisingly limited tech stack. Because um, I, I had built out an approach of, hey, let's, let's do like some of the bells and whistles and get some of these really, really large event platforms. Um, and my boss very intelligently said, this is a proof of concept. So like, let's do a, let's do a minimum investment needed, prove the concept. And if we're gonna add additional dollars, let's add those additional dollars into the promotion piece over the like, the bells and whistles on the event platform. Um, so we went with Zoom events for the express purpose that for 500 attendees, it's $99 a month. Like it's, incredibly inexpensive to get you to get you from point A to point B. I will be candid. There were some definite te definite technological challenges. Like I understand why the other platforms are what they are. Because again, there was with Zoom events, like you just get the platform, whereas with other companies, you're getting kind of a, a customer success manager and you're getting a lot more robust technology integrations that make things seamless. I, I mean, I gotta be candid, like we put up a form and I downloaded the registrants from the form and then I uploaded them into Zoom events. Like there was definitely that piece um, and people still had to go in and get an email from Zoom events that then confirmed their their ticket. So like there were hoops to jump through and I gotta be candid on that front. But if you're looking for a really, really cheap way of doing this, Zoom events was a great option for us. Um, and then as far as other pieces of technology, we, we use HubSpot for our, our website, for our marketing, for our sales, for our service. So everything was run through HubSpot. Um, and then finally, we use LinkedIn. So LinkedIn organic reach is still 
very solid. Uh, we, we ran ads up against uh, a target account list. And I should, I should include that. We use sales Intel to build our target account list and essentially had a number of accounts that we ran ads up against. And then, uh, we did ABMathon headbands and we used Sendoso post event for kind of a thank you gift. And that was the thing that we did. That was, I think, interesting is our sponsors had an agreed upon, this is what we're going to contribute to the event. So our sponsors didn't actually pay us monetarily. They paid us in promotion of the event. So Terminus ran Terminus ads. Um, Sendoso did the sends. Sales Intel used their target account list. Um, and then we, we ran LinkedIn ads. So it was LinkedIn, HubSpot, Zoom events, Sendoso, Terminus, Sales Intel. Awesome. And assuming then um, in your ads, for example, you were promoting the, the partners and whatnot as well. Yes. So the, the ad set that we had, we had individual ads for every single session. So there were 20 ads right there um, just from a session perspective. And then what we did is we created a numerous different color schemes that still adhered to all of our same brand colors, but one had a predominantly white background or a, a teal or a darker blue and then did different copy with all of those same. So that ended up creating another nine ads right there. And then on top of that, what we also did is had different ads that said sponsored by and hosted by to call out all of, all of our different sponsors. Um, Cause the other thing that selfishly what we wanted to do was understand from a co-promotion standpoint, what sponsors draw in the largest number of potential registrants and right fit customers so that moving forward with all of our other content, what partners do we want to prioritize working with? Makes sense. No, I, I love the, the kind of forward looking integration, if you will, into, okay, what are we going to learn from this? It's not just about putting the event on or it, and it's not even just about the content, but what am I going to learn from this? How am I going to make the next one better? Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So we talked mindsets, we talked skill sets, we talked tools. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you about tools is you mentioned there was a hiccup. What was the, what was the hiccup? So zoom events will automatically make the event not publicly accessible. So the hiccup was we launched promotion and everyone that had been involved in like checking out to make sure everything worked had their email in the event. I hadn't, I hadn't asked anybody else cause I had, I had asked like 30 people to come check it out. So like, I wouldn't have assumed it wouldn't be publicly accessible if you just have the right link. Um, and I launched promotion for 30 minutes on LinkedIn ads just to like, go ahead and get it going. And then we had every single sponsor, every single speaker, every, everybody that was involved in the event made a post at noon Eastern time on the same day to kind of do a LinkedIn takeover. So I realized at like 1145 people can't register for the event. So I had a near heart attack. Um, and what we ended up doing is that's when I just threw up a form and I was like, we're just going to get a form up and like, we'll capture their information and I'll figure out how to get their information. Once we captured it into zoom events later, like I just need to get a form up. So I did that in a, I don't know, five seconds flat. Um, and from there, what we ended up realizing is I tried to figure out all the different ways I could integrate zoom events into HubSpot and it just wasn't really an option. Um, 
I I had a, I, I guess just assumed that it would be because you can do that really easily with webinars, but you couldn't do it with events. So we ended up keeping the form up, and then again, I I, I built out more. The way that I framed it is um, you've registered for the event now. Like I don't, I don't remember exactly how I framed it, but essentially something to the extent of like claim your seat. Like, thank you so much for registering. Like, go ahead and secure your seat today, X, Y, Z. Um, and that was a way that we were able to actually not only get 700 registrants, but then we only had to pay for 500 registrants. Whereas if we had moved up in license, we would have had to pay. It goes from like $99 a month to like a thousand. Yep. So it was a happy accident in that case. After the heart attack was, <laughs> was over. Yes. Yeah, a happy accident. Uh, you're still here to tell the to tell the tale. So, so, again, mindset, skill sets. We talked tool sets. Is there anything else that maybe I didn't ask you? That you're like, hey, you know what? If you're gonna do this, you should think about or know this thing. So the the biggest thing is just if you're gonna do something like this, have a really really detailed roadmap for post event. I would actually say that post event is more important than pre and actual event. Um, the thing that I, I didn't do well was I focused so much on making sure that the day happened, obviously, because I mean, it was the first time that we had done it. So I just want to make sure that like, the day itself went right. That like I knew we wanted to chop social clips up. We, we hadn't even like secured a, an outsourced contractor or decided if we were going to use a third party tool. We ended up moving forward with a tool um, called uh, veed.io, which if you say it out loud is video, which I think is super cute, but that's <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, that would be another tool and it's also 200 less than $250 a year. Yeah. So it's a very easy to use tool. All that to say, um, your, your post event is more important than your actual event because it's, it's the post event where you maximize the content distribution, you maximize everything that you built on the day of and all the awareness and all that. Because imagine you've been promoting this massive event for two months, the event happens, and then suddenly all brand activities and communication from your company goes dark because there was no plan after the event. So it's, this event builds a ton of momentum. It's a matter of how you then capitalize on that momentum that will generate, again, tons of content, continued awareness, and then inevitably revenue. Yep. No, I, I liken that very similar to sort of how we, talk about podcast and clients, which is like, that's great. Like what are the touch points along that journey? So if you're going to have, you know, podcast guests, okay, what happens after you do your initial discovery call to when you actually do the interview and then what happens afterwards, how are you going to keep these people engaged, especially if they are, you know, your target customers potentially. Cause I think uh, what often happens is great. The interview's done moving on to the next thing. It's like, well, what about this person that you are trying to build a relationship with? Very cool. Uh, well, let's talk results now. Obviously, we, we sort of started that conversation with, you know, the number of um, direct and indirect sourced and influenced um, deals. So maybe uh, refresh your memory on that. And then I know there's one major thing that we haven't talked about yet that I think was a, yes. kind of a, a very big cherry on top. Yes. So, again, the main, the main purpose of this event was to build brand amongst our target audience. So we, again, identified a, essentially like we identified a thousand accounts and we're like, if we could close these accounts over the next decade, 
we'd be golden as an agency. Like these are the thousand accounts that that would be the absolute ideal. I'll be candid. That's not ABM. That's like just demand gen to be completely candid. Um, but with that, amongst that thousand target account list, we ended up having 1.1 million impressions within the marketing suite, which is again, from a brand perspective, Mojo branding, plus the title of the event, a, a million people saw that Mojo does ABM. That's a win in my mind. That then turned into 700 registrants. And what I'll even like to add to that, that was, this is another cherry on top personally. Uh, I've, I've been really intentional to build a personal brand, but specifically sending connection requests to our target accounts over the past six months, 300 of the 700 re total registrants came directly through my personal network on LinkedIn, which is a huge win to also then demonstrate the power that LinkedIn has from a marketing organic perspective. Um, and then yeah, 300 total live attendees, 15 hours of content, which is gonna be absurd as it all comes together. Um, four deals that were influenced, two deals that were sourced, 15 deals that cited this was a major win for like moving forward with our agency. And then the, the biggest thing is back in December, um, our agency owners made people aware that they would be open to being acquired. And um, as a part of the ABM promotion that started in March, this event helped accelerate and confirm that we were genuine experts in account-based marketing and that we were going to be a good buy because we brought a good team. And again, I mean, the event showcased our entire team essentially. So the people that were looking to acquire us got to see pretty much our entire team without us knowing that, that, we, were, that we were being able to be essentially seen and got, get to know us. So all of that culminated in us actually being acquired by a, a much larger agency that's called Gravity Global. Uh, so Gravity is a 350 person agency that's got 30 locations worldwide and they work with clients like Airbus and 3M and I mean, just ab absurd clients that are kind of the dream for every marketer to get to work with. So we are now the center of excellence for account-based marketing for Gravity Global. And um, if it hasn't happened at this point, the Mojo brand will slowly start to be sunset and um, we'll just be Gravity Global. That's that's awesome. And congrats to the owners, because I'm sure that's a that's a big deal. I mean, I'm assuming to, every, to at least some people on the team as well. So absolutely. That's uh that's a big one. One thing I forgot to ask you is the 22K that you mentioned that was spent, does that, did that include um, media costs for promotion? Yeah, so honestly, the vast majority of the cost went to um, time. So we only ended up spending $9,500 on media promotion from out of our pocket. And then again, uh, Terminus did some media promotion. I don't know the exact spend on their end because they just, they said that they were going to dedicate 10,000 to it. Sendoso cover the cost of sends and to send is however much, um, you know, it just depends on postage and then sales Intel offer that target account list. And again, that was how we structured our partnerships, but it, out of, as far as out of Mojo's now gravity's pocket from a time and financial commitment, it was, um, 23,000. That's great. So, like we've talked through results, we've talked through everything at this point. Uh, I think it's time for our lightning round. So, uh, what is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? 
marketing source revenue. What is something new, a uh, marketing strategy or tactic that you're looking forward to testing out this year? So the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is I, over the past seven, six or seven months, have really built up my own personal band and uh, I am admittedly not the smartest person in any room. So there are f people far smarter than myself and I think I've built out a process that can replicate the success that I've had from a personal branding perspective to get invited to conferences and on podcasts like this. So I'm really excited to test that, that process and see, is this something that is very easily replicated based on a personal branding process that I've kind of just stumbled my way through the past two years. Very cool. What is a marketing best practice that you actually think needs to go by the wayside? Um, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said gating content. If you ask me now, I would say ungating content for the purpose that I feel like too many marketers are just ungating because it's the cool thing to do now versus like having an actual strategic approach to it. Um, and then the other thing, sorry, I've got two. Um, <laughs> I, now that I've been invited onto a fair number of podcasts, like they're not even thinly veiled sales pitches at this point. And I feel like there was something good happening where you can interview your actual best fit customers and just build a genuine relationship, but it, it's been taken advantage of. And it's now just, let me, let me do a podcast. That's really just a sales discovery call. And then at the end on a recording that's going to be distributed, sell you on our product. And it's just like, this is garbage. Like, don't, don't do this to me. Like I'm trying to genuinely help people by being on a show. Yep. No, I, I completely agree with both of those so much for the lightning round aspect here, but sorry, the, no, it's fine. Um, the, I, the first one you mentioned of just everybody on gating, I, I totally, what I'm seeing is everyone's just ungating everything they have just cause that's the recommendation, but they're not thinking about what it is that they actually have. And most of the stuff they're ungating is complete crap. It's just fluff content that nobody cares about. So now all you've done is ungated crappy content and you're still wondering why is this not working? And then you think, oh, well, it's not working cause I ungated content. So let me go back to getting my content. Neither of which is the solution. Uh, and then, yeah, the podcast thing, yeah, that, that drives me nuts. And that's, again, one of those things where, you know, we're producing a number of shows now for clients and it's same thing where we kind of have to fight this, especially in some of the, you know, you, you don't see this as much in like the SaaS space, I don't think, and things like that, but we generally deal with other, other industries and it's, oh, we want to tell our story. It's like, like, nobody cares about your story. It's not what it's about, yeah. like, you can talk about your expertise. You can interview other people and make them feel good about coming on your show and giving them a platform, but nobody cares about your story until they do and that's a different type of content so anyway back to our regular scheduler pro regularly scheduled programming um what is your least favorite business word or phrase omnichannel <laughs> uh what is your favorite business or marketing book uh building a story brand and what is something that you like listening to while you work? Either playlist, type of music, or a specific song? Uh, Memories by Lucky Chops. I haven't heard of that one. What kind, of, uh, what kind of music is that? It is a big brass band based out of New York that started when they were in high school playing in subways that has become a very, very popular, legitimate band that tours around the world. It's just, they've had such a rags to riches story 
that I've been following for like 15 years. Very cool. I have a feeling Gabby would know who they are because she used to play trumpet. Um, did you, did you, is that a brass band? Is that, did you play band? Yeah, I was a saxophonist and actually on LinkedIn today posted about the time that I played with a international renowned uh, Christian band in concert. So, wow. Uh, Very cool. Side random part of my life. Yeah, I love saxophone. Well, that maybe answers the, the other question, which is what's something that your LinkedIn audience wouldn't know about you, but I suppose they know about it now. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll be candid. I'm, I'm really not that interesting of a person. Like I have probably five really, really neat stories and I've shared all five of them at this point on LinkedIn. So the, like the rest of it's just kind of, uh, maybe here's one. I actually didn't intend to go into marketing. I fell into it. Um, I, I had intended to be a youth pastor and, uh, just continually tried to do that and continually failed as a youth pastor and, uh, got engaged and did a job that was going to pay me and had a degree in marketing. So I figured I'd give it a shot and then absolutely fell in love with it and have been doing it and not look back. Very cool. Yeah. I feel like that's a lot of people that end up in marketing end up sort of, sort of falling into it one way or the other. So yep. awesome. Well, Mason, before I let you go, where is, where can somebody find you? If they want to ask questions, get to know you better, etc. Uh, LinkedIn is the, is the main one um, for me. And then I have a personal side passion project called The Marketing Ladder, uh, where I've actually had a wonderful guest named Mike on the show. Uh, we talk through tying essentially really business objectives and business acumen back to what you're doing as a marketer to grow your career. So the entire podcast is just interviewing marketing leaders on how they built the career so that others can build theirs. Awesome. And I do. I love the show and I'm curious to see what you do with it. I know you're you're looking at some some different options out there. So there's a couple ideas that are, are bouncing around my head, but I'm also curious to see what I do. with. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be paying attention. Everybody, Mason Cosby. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scrappy ABM. If you enjoyed this week's episode, go ahead and give us a follow so that you don't miss a single episode. We drop every single Monday so that you can start your week off right. And if you're looking for additional great content just like this, go check out ScrappyABM.com. We're building a library of frameworks, guides, templates, processes, and tools so you have everything that you need to build a low-budget, high-impact Scrappy program. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of Scrappy ABM. This has been your host, Mason Cosby, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.